program, friends. Welcome to Corbett Report Radio. You're tuned into republicbroadcasting.org here on this Thursday night edition of the broadcast. And I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, your host and guide through this uh, next hour of radio transmission as we transmit around the world and into your ear. So to all of you out there, thank you so much for investing your time in tonight's transmission. I hope it will be beneficial for you in in every possible way. And I say that advisedly because I think I have a point to make tonight, and it's not a profound point. It's not one that you haven't heard before, but it's one that bears repeating and repeating and repeating because it strikes me and with uh, renewed vigor today that we are, as human beings, we are hardwired to detect danger, to detect threats, to be weary of the rustling in the bushes and to be concerned that it will be the tiger that's going to eat us all or uh, to be concerned about the tribe over the hill that may, may be coming to uh, to conquer us and enslave us. And this is something that, as I say, is hardwired into us as human beings. And as such, it's not necessarily a bad thing. There certainly are threats in this world. There are things that we need to be concerned about. And it is not a waste of our time or our energy or our resources to be concerned about such things and to be prepared for those types of eventualities. Now, of course, back in our caveman past, it may have been the rustling of the bushes that was the tiger that was the main threat, or it may have been the tribe over the hill that may have wanted to start war with us that may have been the main threat. But what it really is in this day and age, of course, is something altogether different, and we are under all sorts of attack biologically and uh, and through the, the chemicals that they're putting into our water supply and all of the other types of issues that we all know about and that we've been documenting here on the Corbett Report exhaustively over the last several years. But in this threat continuum that we're looking at and examining and turning over in our minds and and coming at from every possible angle, there's a different type of threat, and that's the threat that we will become so obsessed with the threats themselves and looking at what's attacking us that we will forget that we are able to do positive things in this world that will affect the world for the better and thus reduce the threat from those types of uh, eventualities and the attacks that we're under. This is, uh, this is, I suppose, a profound point as well as a mundane point, but my point is that the good news is sometimes something that is neglected because we are too busy concentrating on the ways that we're under attack. But if we neglect the good news, the positivity, the things that we can do on a positive basis, if we neglect that for too long and too much, then we start to get into the mindset that there is nothing we can do. There is nothing that we can do as individuals to change the system, that everything is rigged from the start, everything is against us, so we might as well just go off into a corner and suck our thumb. And unfortunately, that's the mindset that too many people get into once they're steeped into the alternative media for too long, because the alternative media are the ones that are the lookout people on the watchtowers talking about the the real dangers that are coming from over the hill. And when people are immersed in that instead of the uh, the palatable pablum that's uh, that's passed off as news in the corporate media world, when people start to encounter the real threats, of course, they get very scared, they get very nervous. And rightfully so, there are a lot of very real dangerous threats in this world. But once again, if we don't highlight the positive things that people are doing on a daily basis to combat all of these various types of threats, then we will never be able to learn from those stories about our own true power as individuals to affect real change in this world. 
So tonight we're going to start opening the uh, the door and exploring some good news stories, some stories of positivity, some stories of people affecting the world for the better, some stories that go against the countervailing or the, the, the overarching narrative that we are always totally under attack and there's nothing we can do. Because rest assured, you are an individual with immense power and there are people who are very scared of you finding out about that fact. So stay tuned right there. We'll be back with the good news here on Corbett Report Radio. All right, welcome back, friends. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and tonight we're examining the good news, the positivity, the things that people can do and are doing on a daily basis to affect things in this world for the better, something that unfortunately is all too often neglected, not only, of course, in the mainstream media, but even in the alternative media. And I think it's something that we neglect to our peril, because without knowing and understanding the ways that people can have a positive effect in the world, how on earth are we ever going to start thinking our ways out of the situations that we find ourselves in? So I, I think we all understand to a certain extent how the ways that the, the controlled corporate media can control the information that we're receiving and thus control our minds so that it's easy to portray 9-11 truthers as crazy conspiracy nuts if you don't talk about the Richard Groves and the Sibel Edmonds and the Bill Bergmans and all of the other people who have been blowing the whistle for a decade now on the, the flaws in the 9-11 f- official narrative. If we don't talk about those types of people or those types of issues, then it's easy to say, well, that's just a fringe kooky theory. And I think we all understand how that works. But again, also, if we don't talk about the positive things, if we don't talk about the ways that people are affecting this world for the better, then it's also too easy to dismiss all resistance as futile as the Borg would have us have us believe. And, uh, and so once again, just even selecting what news is news and what news is not news is in itself a political action. So, for example, who is to say that a story like this one is not equally important to the types of things that we see happening on the geopolitical stage or the macroeconomic stage? And for an example, let's turn to the Tennessean, which has this story up right now. Father donates kidney to another couple's child. And I think it's an important story to highlight because it shows, once again, how individuals can truly change other individuals' lives. And it's something that we have to understand that their human nature is not uh, completely a cesspool of corruption, as we might be given to believe if we only look at the negative headlines. So this is a story about a three-year-old girl in uh, Tennessee who will live to spend many more days with her dad, thanks to another dad, making this Father's Day memorable for two families. It says, on Monday, June 25th, Josh Graham and Maggie Medor will each undergo a transplant surgery in which the father of two will donate his kidney to the young girl. For the past year and a half, Maggie and her Cottontown family have fought hard for the life of the toddler who suffers from a rare form of kidney disease, focal segmental glomerular sclerosis, sorry for butchering that name, which is associated with kidney failure and can be life-threatening. And the story goes on to talk in great detail about this poor three-year-old girl's condition and uh, just the horrific time that her family has been having, her parents have been having, raising this girl on a uh, very restricted diet and basically uh, just wringing their hands over the fact that uh, that she her health was always ailing. 
they managed to identify what the problem was and that it's a problem in her kidneys. But then, unfortunately, her father got the bad news that uh, the uh, his kidney would not make a, a suitable transplant for his daughter. So having read about this on a Facebook page, Maggie's Prayer Warriors, there was a man who had never met this family who stepped up to the plate and decided that he would be willing to donate his kidney to this three-year-old girl so that she can continue to live. And uh, it's again, it's the type of story that many people would dismiss oh that's not hard news that's not the big type of news that's going to affect me and my family but i think absolutely these types of stories because they are neglected because we don't hear about them on a daily basis because they're not uh, people aren't drawing attention to them that in itself becomes this type of mind game this type of effect that uh, the powers that would be the would-be rulers of this world would like us to neglect. They don't want us to think about the ways that people can do spontaneous acts of kindness. They don't want to think about these types of things that people are doing on a daily basis. They want us at each other's throats, so it does not benefit them for us to think about the times that people have been incredibly kind to others. And hopefully, when we start to highlight those types of stories, people will take them to heart. And it will affect others, because I think anyone who's in the media knows that the media is very good at propagating memes and making people understand things in a different way, so that if we highlight stories like that, well, people might actually see the world differently. They might actually trust their neighbor more. They may actually think about doing things like that for themselves. So I think that type of story is extremely important. Another type of story that I'd like to see highlighted more is this one. This one comes from metronews.ca out of Ottawa. Volunteers brave heat to build a community garden in a day. It reads in part, quote, Braving Thursday's sweltering heat, more than 60 volunteers used sledgehammers, nails, and dirt to build a community garden in a single day in an unlikely place near five large apartment towers at Lees Avenue. We wanted to provide access to a community garden for the apartments, said 73-year-old volunteer Keith Shackleton, because they have no access to land, and most of the community gardens in Ottawa have year-long waiting lists. Taryn Hudgens, who lives in one of the nearby apartment towers at 190 Lees, said she came out to help despite the heat because she's excited about growing her own food. I have a plot at another garden nearby, but there's always a waiting list, she said. This one is closer, and I like the raised beds because you don't have to bend over. Well, I'll let you continue reading that article for yourself, but I think this is a great way of highlighting something that I think more communities, not just in Ottawa or not just in Canada or not just in North America, but all around the world, really need to be participating in at this point in time as we stress over and over and over how very important it is to get off of the grid in every sense, but of course in terms of our dependency on the food industrial complex whereby the six major agri-companies now control 90% of the food supply or whatever horrific statistic it is now. And I, this is something I stress over and over, but we don't tend to stress, myself included. I don't, uh, I don't exclude myself from this at all. We don't tend to stress stories like these ones where people actually do come together to actually create the gardens by which they will then start to grow their own food and affect the change that we're all, always talking about here. So, once again, by highlighting stories like this on a regular basis, people can see that all hope is not lost, that there is, uh, there are communities that still do this, that can come together, it can be done, it is being done, and that it is not all doom and gloom. There are ways out of this, uh, this mess that we find ourselves in. 
So I would like to posit for today that people like the uh, the the anonymous uh, donor who didn't even know that three-year-old girl that he donated his kidney to, or the community volunteers who came together to build this community garden. Those are real heroes, at least every bit as much as the political leaders that we are told to look up to, even the Ron Pauls or whoever, they are held up in positions as if they are heroes and they are leaders of the revolution. Well, if that is true, then it is no less true that that father uh, donor of the kidney or the, uh, the community garden volunteers are heroes in every bit as strong a sense. So I, uh, I want to posit that out there because, once again, it's always my contention that the true answer will only come when we understand that we are the actors in this game and that we are the ones that can take matters into our own hands, which is why it's not important that you have to believe everything I say or only listen to this or that person. Absolutely not. Trust your heart and follow your own decisions. But in the end, you have to start acting for yourself and making those decisions that will affect the world in a positive way. So we can look at those types of microcosmic stories, and I think we should on a more ongoing basis, and it will be my endeavor. I am trying to pledge here on air today that I will spend more time looking at those types of stories as they come across my desk. And since it is difficult to find those types of stories because we live in an it-bleeds-it-leads media world, I do need your help out there for that. So if people want to send uh, tips to those types of stories in on a regular basis at CorbettReport.com, I'll be happy to get to them and highlight those stories as they come in because, once again, I think it's important we understand. This also ties into the bigger agenda that we look at here on the Corbett Report the uh, the big overarching issues, the, the geopolitics and things, because once again we can get stuck in the mindset that these big issues, the macroeconomics and the geopolitics, well, there's nothing that you or I could do to affect that. And, of course, that's another lie that the system would love uh, for us to believe, and that's why it promotes it so heavily, the lie that there's nothing we can do to affect change on the local level. There's nothing we can do to counteract these big overarching narratives of uh, control and domination this globalization and all of this that they're affecting is just this inevitable process well again that's a lie and that's a lie that they can only perpetrate if we don't look at stories of people taking the power back so let's highlight another good story that came across my desk recently this one from alabama uh it's on the new alabama adopts first official state ban on u.n agenda 21 says Alabama became the first state to adopt a tough law protecting private property and due process by prohibiting any government involvement with or participation in a controversial United Nations scheme known as Agenda 21. Activists from across the political spectrum celebrated the measure's approval as a significant victory against the UN sustainability plot, expressing hope that similar sovereignty-preserving measures would be adopted in other states as the nationwide battle heats up. And I'll suggest you go and read that article. I'm going to highlight it again tomorrow on the program as we talk about Agenda 21 and the Rio Plus 20 conference in the context of what people can do, the solutions, the positive things that people can do to affect change and to stop the implementation of this communitarian Agenda 21 philosophy slash agenda. So I'll have much more to say about that tomorrow, but there in a nutshell is an example of people coming together and uh, stopping a big international agenda that's being pushed through the U.N., at the state level, something that, again, the corporate media would love that you never look at and never consider. Another important story that just came out, uh, this one from Iceland, more Icelandic bankers arrested. And it goes on to talk about how even the Central Bank of Iceland itself is under investigation. 
due to the banking crisis that uh, that hit Iceland a few years ago in the wake of the Lehman Brothers fall. And uh, anyone who's been following what's happening in Iceland knows that the people have not been sitting on their laurels and just taking whatever's handed to them. They've been very proactive in trying to hold the banksters accountable and trying to change the system completely. And there's been ups and downs in that process, but here's a positive story and one that I'll be highlighting in my subscriber-only newsletter, which again will be coming out on Saturday. So I will have much more to say on that then. But for now, let's take another short break. We'll be back with our third segment, once again highlighting the good news here on Corbett Report Radio tonight. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and tonight I'm just reminding us all because it's something that, unfortunately, we can tend to forget when we get lost in the bad news headlines, that there is good news, there is positivity, and there are ways that people can affect the world for the better. And I'm not being Pollyanna-ish about this. I'm not saying that we just click our ruby heels together and uh, ruby slippers together and everything will be better magically. It doesn't work like that. There are real threats in this world and things that we need to be concerned about but we also have to be aware of the ways that people truly can affect the world for the better and they can actually take matters into their own hands instead of waiting for some political messiah or whatever it is to come along and swoop into office in Washington, D.C. and make everything better. I think we have to get out of that mindset. So we're highlighting some good news stories tonight. Another one that I'd really like people to check out is a video that's up on YouTube right now. It's called Detained for Open Carry, Portland, Maine, 26th of May, 2012. And uh, there will be the link in the show notes uh, for tonight's episode, as well as all of this at CorbettReport.com slash radio. But uh, I'd like to highlight this. It's an interesting conversation. Basically, a man who's stopped by police in Portland, Maine, for nothing other than carrying a weapon, which is, in fact, not against the law. So this is a man who, thankfully, very well knows his rights and uh, and the basis for those rights and is effectively able to deal with the situation. So let's listen to a little bit of the audio from this video. Like I said, people are starting to call about a guy carrying a gun. Yep, that's a report of illegal activity. What crime do you suspect me of committing? In order to stop me, you have to suspect me of a crime. Can you get your supervisor here? He is on the way. Okay, thank you. Okay, but like I said, people are concerned. It's a public safety issue. So I'm here to make sure everyone's all set. You make sure you're all set. Okay, so I just need to get your ID. We'll call it good. No, sir. You're not going to give me your ID. Unless you are issuing me a summons as 17A, 15A requires, then... Can you let me speak for a second? I need to make sure you're not a felon carrying this. Do you suspect me of being a felon? I don't know you. Okay, if you don't suspect me of being a felon, then I would like my gun back and I would like to proceed on my way. In order to carry a gun, you're not allowed to be a felon. Correct, but unless you suspect me of being a felon, there's no reason for you to stop me. There is reason to stop you. Unless you suspect me of a crime, as Terry v. Ohio, Delaware v. uh, Prouse... Uh, requires you to have a suspicion of crime before you detain an individual. Brown v. Texas does does not allow you to stop an individual and demand their ID. Well, the clip goes on from there, but uh, I hope you will check it out. In the end, the police officer's supervisor arrives and agrees with the man that there's no reason whatsoever for the uh, the police to detain him, to stop him, or to seize his weapon as they do. So, uh, so they just give him his gun back, and he goes along his merry way. 
And that's the type of interaction we'd, I think we'd all like to see with the police more often, people who know exactly what their rights are and exactly what laws uh, pertain, what decisions pertain, so that they can cite them confidently, and in the end, they will, uh, they will prevail in that, in that uh, situation. Of course, having a uh, camera phone or whatever you might have on you uh, to record the conversation probably goes some way to helping as well. So that's another positive thing that people can be doing out there. But on that note, we uh, we have a caller who's been waiting patiently on the line. So let's go to Chuck in Texas. Chuck, thanks for joining us tonight. Hey, brother. How are you doing? Good show. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you very much. I, I really enjoy your, your show. You're very well informed, and I just love it. I want to do uh, throw something in here. I'm a prepper, okay? And people think of preppers as some kind of coops, you know, that pack a bunch of food away and only care about themselves. That's not at all the truth. When people, when you talk about how, what we can do on an individual basis, we must talk to our neighbor. Talking about what they must do, what we must do, all that. What are you going to do? Do you know your neighbor? Have you talked to them about what is coming? Have you, don't pound them with it, but get them, you know, and then set the example. Set the example by getting the, your garden in. I don't like community gardens, by the way, brother, because you don't control it. We have tried that all through history. Community, anything does not work. How about helping a neighbor put their garden in their own yard and help them be self-sufficient? Community, anything, means you have no control. Talk to people. Preppers are great people. Uh, I agree. I agree. You're not going to get any argument from me on on any of those points. I think you're right. Um, I think community gardens are better than going to the supermarket. But yes, if you can start your own garden, that's better in every case. Not do your own. Start your own and help someone else. Go over and rototill your neighbor's backyard. Get them eating right. It's contagious. It has worked for me. My whole neighbors are preppers now. I have created a neighborhood of preppers. And when this happens, because it will happen, I have a better chance of my neighbors protecting me because I am, I'm the guy that they all know is a major prepper. I'm the one who will give milk to their kids out of my stores. I'm the one who told them what was coming and they didn't listen enough, but I got them interested. You start them with health. You don't have to worry about scaring them with the new world order. Get them interested in health. And get them involved. But if you don't do it very close to you, don't worry about they and the, st- the state and all that. Get the people close to you. We don't have enough time to keep waiting for the they to take care of it or the we to take care of it. You take responsibility to meet your neighbor and make something happen. Amen, brother. I'm completely on your side. I think that's the spirit that we need, and we need to stop thinking about marches on Washington as a way to fix the problems. It's definitely what happens in your home and in your community that counts. So I'm 100% on board. All right, Chuck, thank you so much for your call. And on that note, we're going to take a short break and reboot a little bit, and we're going to come back with James Evan Pilato of foodworldorder.com. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
back, friends, on a rather somber note as Johnny Cash sings us into this segment. And we are turning in the second half of tonight's broadcast, as we do every Thursday night, to James Evan Pilato of FoodWorldOrder.com. So we have been talking about the good news and ways people can positively affect their world, including prepping and all of the other things that people can do to affect the change on their local level, which will be the revolution, not just waiting for a political messiah. But on that note, we have uh, both threats and, uh, and, and things that we have to be concerned about coming from foodworldorder.com. We also have examples of people taking things into their own hands. So a, a good mixed bag, I think. So, James, let's, let's dig, our, dig into the plate. Today, a young man on acid realized that all matter is merely energy condensed to a slow vibration, that we are all one consciousness experiencing itself subjectively. There's no such thing as death. Life is only a dream, and we're the imagination of ourselves. Here's Tom with the weather. James, <laughs> you may very well know that's, of course, classic Bill Hicks bit from back in 1989, talking about how you never see a positive drug story. And that's how we'll begin our Food World Order coverage, James, because there, there are positive stories. And this comes from Alternet.org. Are we finally reawakening to the profound healing properties of psychedelics? Slowly but surely, we may be reaching success in a determined and long-time legal effort to unleash the curative powers of psychedelic drugs in America. There's a tremendous need for alternative approaches to the existing models of drugs and therapy, but for years, scientific inquiry into the curative powers of psychedelic drugs has been blocked by political fears, the result of drug hysteria generated by anti-drug forces, law enforcement, and things like Nancy Reagan's Just Say No campaign. Many industries, particularly the pharmaceutical and alcohol industries, and in some cases the prison guard union, unions, have employed a phalanx of well-connected lobbyists to protect the financial interests of their clients, regardless of the negative effects on the rest of us. So what follows in this article, they have a transcript from a panel discussion of the biannual conference of the Drug Policy Alliance, drugpolicyalliance.org, in L.A. late last year, where some of the world's foremost researchers in psychedelics described the history, process, and results of their work thus far. And James, back in the archives on MediaMonarchy.com, my, my main flagship site, before Food World Order had ever sprouted, I have multiple stories there tracing some of the really recent research of using psychedelics in a, in a controlled, you know, laboratory test style situation. And every follow up with the, the patients, they have all said, it's been the most positive experience of my life. The well, you know, the well-meaning, the well-feeling, the wellspring of, of life still kind of flows through me. And, and I, I think that's, that's a positive thing. And again, we're basically talking about natural psychedelics. I don't know that I would trust any kind of LSD or any of that kind of laboratory junk. We're talking about things that grow from the ground that have grown from the ground for all of our lives. Well, again, it is up to the individuals out there, but uh, but the idea that that's things that could be actually palliative and actually helpful for our, our psyches would be purposefully made illegal and kept from us uh, for the benefit of the ruling oligarchs who would obviously benefit from such a system should not be as too much of a surprise, I think, to listeners out there. 
And, and and again, you know, I, I always forget to kind of throw out the mention, James. You know, that the, the views expressed here are, are James Evan Pilatas of Media Monarchy. I'm talking about ah, you know, which <laughs> which asset you should trust. <laughs> should we turn to the, I guess, the darker stuff? I think James, that's the one main positive story I have for us on Food World Order. But I'll I'll take your your challenge and try and get more positive news on on the site. Well, yeah, I, I think there's a couple, actually, tonight that we can take some positive notes from. But at any rate, yeah, let's move into some of the, the threats. From foodfreedomgroup.com, 20 years of genetic engineering and chemical warfare, the siege in Hawaii. For over 20 years, Hawaii has been the global center for the open field testing of GMOs, including pharmaceutical crops. Over 5,000 experimental tests have been conducted by... Monsanto, Dow, DuPont, Pioneer, Syngenta, and BASF that spray chemicals on an almost daily basis on the most valuable lands. They're supported by tax breaks and beneficial relationships with landowners, regulators, and politicians. And by the estimation of Food Freedom Group, GMO companies own or lease 40 to 60,000 acres that are sprayed with over 70 different chemicals. This gets into a new vision for Hawaii that would promote small farms that grow chemical-free produce, employ our youth, and restore the indigenous system. This gets into some of the schools and some of the battles against some of the, the land. But this also links back to a video report on tv.naturalnews.com, James. Absolutely, yeah. I don't know what to say about all this. And it, definitely here in the Pacific Northwest, Hawaii is of huge. When I, you know, coworkers, when people are going away, I, I hear Hawaii pretty much every other time. I've never been there myself. I would love to go visit. I think, and, and James, I may throw this to you, even being in Japan. I think the idea of being stuck on an island kind of scares me. Well, I, uh, certainly if it's a nuclear reactor powered island, there are all sorts of concerns, aren't there? Yeah, no, I understand. And, uh, islands are great places for this type of, you know, experimentation because they make great laboratories out in nature. So, um, unfortunately, there's been a lot of examples of this throughout history of islands being used for various types of experiments, including you now genetic engineering, chemical warfare. From our friend Barbara Peterson, who's also here in Oregon, and she runs farmwars.info, Agenda 21, how will it affect you? A clean environment is important to us all. We have an obligation to maintain our resources and sustain our environment for future generations. James, Agenda 21, I think, would bring us to what we'll, we'll reference a little bit later when we hit the binge and purge is the Rio Plus 20. And these have been the eugenics agendas being pushed by inbred, eugenics-obsessed elites, and they're shoving it down our throats. And you can see videos of Prince Charles warning us and, and all of those things. There's a, an interesting related article on freebeacon.com on the carbon corruption. Iran, North Korea, and Sudan rack up millions by trading United Nations carbon credits. Do you know anything about that, James? I don't know about that story specifically, but I do know that the carbon credits are a scam and that, uh, yeah, absolutely, they're open to this type of manipulation by, um, by all of the, the, you know, enemies of the West. If you, uh, if you're at least not being hypocritical about it, at least to recognize that these types of clean development mechanisms and whatever else they're, they're trying to 
hide this under is a way to funnel all sorts of money to people that uh, that supposedly we don't want to funnel money to. So that's just all part of the corruption that's endemic in the system itself. I guess returning to one of the issues you were discussing in the first half of the show, and this from Food Freedom Group again. Com. Woman sues city of Tulsa for cutting down her edible garden. A Tulsa woman is suing the city's code enforcement officers after she said they cut down her garden with no cause. Denise Morrison said she had more than 100 plant varieties in her front yard and backyards, and all of them were edible and had a purpose. Which ones will treat arthritis? Which ones will make your food spicy? Which ones keep mosquitoes away or treat bug bites? She said none of that mattered to city inspectors. Basically, last August, they rolled in and said she couldn't have any of this. But she says, oh, but it's within the height limit. And they said, we don't care. She said, oh, but everything's edible. And they said, we don't care. Everything, everything needs to go. She came home and found it all basically just destroyed. You know, like, again, you see in the movies when the cops come and they ransack your place and trash it. it. It's like that. And there is a video report to go along with this. She has filed a civil rights lawsuit this week, accusing the inspectors of overstepping their authority. The city of Tulsa said it hasn't received the lawsuit yet, so it couldn't comment. But a related story, quite similar. City authorities in Ferguson, Missouri, threatened to tear down another fully legal front yard garden. And it is so d- disgusting when you actually look into the story. I mean, they even cut down some of her trees that bore fruits and nuts. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And this is, I mean, if there's any battlefield in this New World Order, it would be in people's gardens, you know, in people's yards, on their own supposedly private property, although, of course, we know about elodial titles and all of that by which no one really owns their property. But uh, but here's a pretty good example of that. If the state can come in and tell you that you can't grow food on your property, then they can do anything. And so this is where I think really the rubber meets the road for a lot of this. And I think we have to stand behind people like this woman who uh, was just trying to grow stuff that she could use, and uh, the state's trying to tell her otherwise. That's I, I kind of often hopefully say that you know Portland has made a lot of great moves to to become more you know personally sustainable, if you will. James, I think I can I can walk, I think it's two blocks away, and I can go see a bunch of chickens and a, and a huge garden in this yard that, again, you feel like, you know, you're still in the city. You're not in the burbs by any stretch. There has been a, a huge move here. Even, like I say, in, in my neighborhood, I can go see chickens and, and huge yard farms. And it's just kind of, it, it's really fun in a way to kind of be cruising down the street doing your errands and go, there's a bunch of chickens right there. That's awesome. If you get hungry, maybe you can just pay the person and uh, take one right there. (laughs) Moving back to the bad. Superbugs from overuse of antibiotics on factory farms. This from one of the sister sites of BrassCheckTV.com, the RealFoodChannel.com. Big government loves big agriculture because their big friends at the big banks make big bucks off of it. The only problem is that this completely, totally unnatural way of raising livestock destroys communities, kills family farming, and has created a new breed of superbugs that even has the American Medical Association running scared. There is a clip for you to check out off of MSNBC, the Dylan Radigan show, who I believe he just quit MSNBC as a sidebar note. I also include a couple articles from Der Spiegel. 
going international. And again, as we always say, if this is going on in my backyard, you can probably bet something similar is going on in your backyard. German veterinarians getting rich off the abuse of antibiotics. James? Well, I couldn't sum it up any better than that first uh, sentence of that article. Big government loves big agriculture because their friends at the big banks make big bucks off it. And what else do you need to hear? I mean, that is the essence of the oligarchy. That's what it's about. That's who it benefits. That's why the system maintains itself. That's why it continues to get worse and worse with each spin around of the uh, the revolution, uh, which is just coming back to the same spot. So every time we make any uh, changes in our society, it seems to always be for the worse and always for the benefit of the very few. And that's exactly why, because... People, you know, just profit off it, not just monetarily. They also gain power with each iteration. So uh, that's why we have to throw ourselves as the uh, the spanners in the works there to, to to stop the gears from functioning and to stop big government and big agra and big banks from teaming up and making bucks off of off of us. Ultimately, in the end, our health, as they want to sacrifice it for whatever ways they're using to create the uh, the next big superbug. So I think, again, this is something that's, it is a problem, it is a threat, and there is a solution. And that's, once again, taking it down into the local level and knowing the people that we're buying food from or growing our own. And uh, if you do that, you don't have to worry about the, this issue. James, we discussed last week how, as time goes by, so many of our great you know news tips come you know, from email or even in, in my case, I get a lot of them from, from people at work. Again, for folks out there, I, I work at a grocery store here in Portland, Oregon. And this story I, I did hear from someone, and James, I think this would maybe top the positive charts on Food World Order this week. Again, from naturalnews.com. Nine-year-old girls lunch blog, shame school and local politicians into making changes. A nine-year-old Scottish girl, Martha Payne, Got some help from her dad to set up her blog, Never Seconds, and that's neverseconds.blogspot.co.uk, in which she displayed her school's lunches and created her own content about them. Although the photos of those meals were not flattering, Martha was not decrying her school's food. Instead, her ratings were rather generous. Martha's dad was amazed at the large international following of her blog. It had accrued two million hits, and she was raising over $3,000 in U.S. money for a charity called Mary's Meals. Martha had found out about Mary's Meals from her grandfather, who told her it was started locally and spread internationally as a charity to feed needy school children in impoverished areas. Grandpa assured Martha that the charity was efficient and genuine, and they've used almost all the funds to feed needy school children. James, that's that's got three generations in there. That's that I think that it all kind of is is boiled down in that story. This is what I'm talking about. This is a good news story. This is positive. This is exactly, I mean, people like this, these people are heroes. Why not? Absolutely. To affect change by something so simple and, uh, and raising money for this, uh, this international charity that, uh, just simply by putting up a blog and, uh, and again, shaming the, uh, the school boards, shaming the local politicians, shaming people into changing the system. And that's why we see these stories about, you know, school boards trying to prevent children from taking pictures of their school lunches and stuff, which is just on its face ridiculous and getting struck down by the courts. So once again, taking matters into our own hands and doing tiny, simple things can have huge ripple effects and be important things that can actually affect change in our society. So 
this became a story. Here, here, I'll, I'll get you the second part. But on one day, Martha was called into the school office and told she could no longer photograph and display school lunches on her blog, warned about comments on school lunch staffers and inspectors, the governing body in western Scotland, comparable to a USA county containing several communities. Martha's dad informed the Telegraph that the school had been supportive, but the council decided to step in and say no to Martha, dot, 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 blah, 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 but... Basically, this is another one of those great stories that once it gets so large, you know that those in power, are, they're going to have to buckle because there's no way they can they can take the pressure, especially, you know, when you're talking about small areas, basically. That's the point. Again, it's just like uh, Alabama banning Agenda 21. When people work together and there is significant, you know, impetus behind it, they can't they can't resist that. And uh, And once again, the people have the power, so... Good on, good on those that family for doing that. James, I haven't yet thanked my man Adam in Nova Scotia for helping post and write on foodworldorder.com, and he posted this one up last night. Christ turns green at UN Earth Summit, literally. Green guru James Lovelock was right. He warned last week that the green religion is now taking over from the Christian religion. So now at the UN Earth Summit, even the image of Christ has been made a forcible convert to the eco-faith as the city of Rio is bathing the iconic statue of Christ the Redeemer in green light. This comes on the heels of a Rio Plus 20 side summit in Belo Horizonte, Brazil, where Naomi Sir, Jerusalem's deputy mayor for planning and environment, left discussion. And unfortunately, yes, here we come up against the break. So let's hold it there. We'll come back to finish up with that story and the binge and purge after these messages. Once again, here on Corbett Report Radio, talking to James Evan Pilato, foodworldorder.com is where you can find all of these stories at a glance. So please go there and uh, just hang on the line. We'll be back in two minutes with the, uh, the conclusion of tonight's episode. Friends, we're back here on Corporate Report Radio, and we're here in the final minutes of the broadcast. Once again, with James Evan Pilato, foodworldorder.com, and of course, many other websites besides you can find links to from Food World Order. So I hope you'll go there not only to find these stories, but to find the links to those other websites and uh, just a ton of information coming out all the time. And of course, uh, Media Monarchy, the, uh, the radio broadcast, the podcast, all of that. So I hope people will check that out if they haven't yet done so. But just before the break, we're talking about Christ turning green at the UN Earth Summit, literally talking about the Christ the Redeemer statue in uh, in Rio, basically being bathed in green light in honor of the Rio Plus 20 conference. So let's just finish up with that, James. Well, James, I think all I would say is, you know, it's worth it for people to check out the photo, which is kind of disturbing. And there are links to, you can read about the International Council for Local Environmental Initiatives and the Green Bible, yes, there is the Green Bible, which kind of remixes the Bible to be about carbon footprint pr- reductions and other ridiculous things. Posted below this, Prince Charles in climate change warning and just some of the other related bits surrounding Rio Plus 20. Oh, James, do you want to read the summit text? I'm sorry, you can't. It's classified. Well, that's a surprise. 
<laughs> which mm-hmm. takes us right to the binge and purge posting. Well, which... before we get that, just, let oh. me just say that tomorrow night on the program, I am going to be talking about Real Plus 20, so we'll be going into a lot more detail about that, about the Alabama story that I talked about earlier tonight, about that Christ Turning Green story, and some of my recent interviews on CorbettReport.com with uh, Joe Nova and uh, Julia Beal talking about Agenda 21, communitarianism, all of those types of things. So lots more coming uh, tomorrow night on the broadcast. I hope people stay tuned for that. The Binge and Purge begins with an article, James, that made, made me think of you, and I actually went to your site and ran the search. I could have sworn you, you had done a Meet Maurice Strong episode. but here It kind of turned into that, but it was actually a different topic, but I spent about 20 minutes or half an hour on him specifically, yeah. Uh, an exclusive from Fox News. Maurice Strong, the godfather of global green thinking, steps out of the shadows at Rio Plus 20. An exclusive interview. And we include basically kind of a iPhone video of Maurice Strong talking at Rio Plus 20. There are so many other articles, James, on the Binge and Purge. I'll just kind of highlight some of the few that really catch my eye. Lobbying effort is said to sink new controls on painkillers, and this goes to my home state of West Virginia. Senator Joe Manchin III, a West Virginia Democrat who led the push for new controls, said it appears that his proposal was falling victim to the financial interests of drugstores and related businesses, essentially saying, hey, I was trying to put the smack down on everybody getting addicted to oxycodone and oxycontin and all those things, but, oh, the pharmaceutical industrial complex won't let me do it. Mass hysteria confirmed in New York school. This is the follow-up on the story of the teen ticks, James. It was just mass hysteria. This That story always struck me as really bizarre, and I always wondered if there was some sort of pharmaceutical or, or vaccine-related bit to the teen ticks in Leroy, New York. I still wonder that. I haven't taken a look at that story, but is it? does it sound conclusive, or is it just kind of... Uh... Trust us. Sounds strange, because in a way it's like uh, and all, the, all the symptoms have pretty much gone away and all the kids are all kind of back to normal. Mm. Another one that's bizarre is the bath salts epidemic. Spin magazine actually has a massive article, Bath Salts, Even the Heart of America's New Drug Nightmare, James. Interesting stuff. Well, let's hope that the world does not turn into a bunch of flesh-eating zombies overnight so that people can tune into Media Monarchy uh, broadcast, which will be tomorrow morning. Is that right? 10 a.m.? Am I in the ballpark there? That's right. 10 a.m. Pacific, live on Revere Radio. That's it. Well, I don't usually get a chance to listen live. I subscribe to the uh, to the podcast, but however people listen, I hope they will tune in. MediaMonarchy.com, FoodWorldOrder.com, all those other great websites. James Evan Pilato, thank you as always. Thanks so much, man. All right, and thank you to all of you out there for listening in. Once again, the good news, and I hope people will send in some good news on a regular basis to CorbettReport.com. That's it for me. I'll see you again tomorrow night.